Hey everybody, this is Nate Smoyer, and you're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. This is the show where we sit down with the leaders in real estate and technology to find out what they're doing to transform the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. If you've got an interest in real estate and technology, stick around. You're in the right place. All right, you guys are in for a treat on this episode. We have two guests. They're co-founders, majority women-owned company. We have Erina Malarkey and Anna Lee Derringer. They run a company called Remarkably, and they're changing how large commercial apartment buildings, 50 units and up, are looking at their marketing spend. See, there's this challenge here. You know, property managers may be great in managing the properties, but sometimes there's just things that maybe they don't have the skills or the expertise to manage in marketing. And while building owners are looking at saying, hey, we're spending all this money on marketing, but what do we have to show for it? Maybe they have some volatility in their in their portfolio, or maybe their portfolio is underperforming and they need to change something. But there's so many things to choose between how do you know what to do? And that's exactly what Remarkably does. It brings in insights that are actionable insights telling you know that property manager or that owner and operator, hey, here are the things that you need to do to get your portfolio back up to snuff. So you're going to want to stick around and listen to this show. I think it was a great one. It's a fun one. There's a lot of laughter in it. You'll enjoy it. So stick around, kick back, enjoy the show. Well, hey, Erina and Anna Lee, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Yeah, I appreciate both of you taking the time to join me. Now, this is a little bit different format because normally it's just me interviewing one person, but I'm excited because we have co-founders on the show today. And I think you both balance each other really well, but there's equal amounts of energy and knowledge. And I just want to, hopefully we'll be able to extract all of that. <laughs> and Anna, we're going to make Anna Lee take some questions. We are. Ha- has to take some questions here. <laughs> well, before we jump into it too far, we'll give both of you an opportunity to go ahead and introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are and what you do. Awesome. All right. Well, Annalie, let's put you in the hot seat. You can go first. All right. So yeah, Annalie Beringer, one of the co-founders. I'm the CXO at Remarkably. So I'm essentially charged with leading the overall product and service experience for Remarkably and uh, Partners in Crime with Erina. And I am Erin Malarkey. I am co-founder and CEO of Remarkably. I, uh, I get us into trouble and Annalie gets us out of it. I lead on fundraising, sales, um, and, you know, right now that's, that's kind of the, those are the, those are the two primary hats that I'm wearing, overall operations, um, kind of domain expertise, et cetera. All right. All right. Now, before we go into, you know, details of what you guys do and the details of all that, let's talk about the name. Cause I feel like there's probably something packed in behind the name remarkably. So that'll, that'll help us kick off the show, right? Walk us through. How did you come across or, or land on the name remarkably? Yeah. What well, do I I take that one because it's actually kind of a funny story. Aeronaut and I were working with some really top branding minds on the name, and we probably went about two and a half months, maybe three months, brainstorming names. And we had all these goals in mind, right? That it had to be suggestive of commercial real estate and marketing, but not too narrow, more family, and should be short, and no more than three syllables, and blah, 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 and not have any conflicts, and we could buy the domain, right? We went through literally, I would say, eight or nine rounds of naming, and the funny thing is, Erina and I actually couldn't agree. So there's actually a name I liked, 
She didn't like it. It was named She Liked. I didn't like it. Finally, one day we decided to take matters into our own hands and we sat down at uh, the Good Bar in Pioneer Square. I love that spot. Right? Yeah. A couple of really stiff drinks and opened our laptops and forced ourselves to make a decision. And the funniest thing is, remarkably, it was a name that had been on one of the first rounds, but the branding people we were talking to were like, nope, too long, too complicated. But what we liked about it was, A, just the meaning of remarkably is so cool, right? Worthy of attention, um, surpassing other options, right? just the idea of being remarkable. And also just knowing that, you know, we were somewhat unusual in this vertical and in this industry as women-owned, women-led founders. And the other thing was that it's real estate and marketing. So remarkable. And we were able to buy the .io domain. So all of that happened within about 45 minutes and two drinks. Oh, <laughs> I think it's, I you know, personally, you know, for what it's worth, I think it's great. I would have agreed with you guys probably on the first front. But I mean, if you hadn't gone through that, it might not have the, the same strength behind it or the same confidence of it and I think it's a pretty cool story and I think those always show like there's always different types of like stories behind a brand name how people get to it and it always reflects a little bit I think of the service that at least the aspirations of you know that company what they want to deliver so so walk us through here what is the big problem that remarkably is aiming to solve so we concepted remarkably actually out of a previous company that Annalie and I own together. So Annalie and I have known and worked with each other for over a decade. And previously, we were owning a, a branding and marketing consulting firm. We worked exclusively in real estate, although across all asset classes, we did a lot of work in multifamily. And our clients are, you know, the big owners and managers of real estate in the US kept coming to us with the same problems and challenges, which were, what am I getting for my marketing spend? What's working? What's not? I feel like marketing is this massive black that I throw dollars into and I have absolutely no idea what actually comes out. And so we set out to, to solve that. And we created a marketing analytics solution by our previous company and we built it on Tableau and we kept getting just tremendous feedback. So it was sort of a data visualization focused kind of analog solution. And the biggest owners, the biggest managers kept saying to us, nobody else is doing this. And so about a year ago, probably almost to the day, Annalie and I got brave or smart or some combination therein and decided to launch what is now aptly named Remarkably. So really the whole notion around this is how can you convert marketing from this expense line item, the coloring in department, the logo team into a true strategic revenue producing predictable lever in your asset strategy. The idea being you have the largest asset class in the world. And what would happen if you could really fundamentally change value creation by adding another year to the asset management bike, if you will, via via more strategic marketing? Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I, I've heard this too in, from other different businesses I've talked to when they talk about their marketing budget. I mean, there's the old adage of what, you know, 50% of our advertising is working. We don't know which half. But then, you know, today, I mean, if you're any less than knowing, you know, you can leave some like 10 or 20%. You're not so sure what exactly it's doing, but you really should. We have the technology. It's there and available to know what is working in marketing, what isn't. And you just happen to find a vertical that hadn't figured out how to do that. Absolutely. And I think what's so interesting is that in real estate, you have the largest asset class in the world, but it has the least sophisticated marketing function of 
arguably almost any industry. And and so you sit here and you think, gosh, okay, you've got you have this massive opportunity and this total laggard, this total dinosaur. And and so what would happen if you took a really deep domain expertise of real estate, branding, and marketing, and then supercharged it with really sophisticated SaaS solution, which is what we've built. That's so great. I love it. And it, it's so funny that you'd say like, I mean, it is the largest asset class. I mean, the opportunity there is nearly endless, you know, and especially in the US. I mean, we have the real estate that the world looks to put their money, park their money, but we don't have the tech to go along with it. We're still doing things on pen and paper, you know, and so I, I love the approach to that. But how did you both end up in the vertical? Because you don't just say one day, you know what we want to go after? We'll go after like apartment building marketing. Like that's, that's the industry, you know, in career day you picked out in fifth grade, you're like, I want to market apartment buildings, you know, like how did, what was the journey to that point? Yeah. Annalie, do you want to, do you want to start there? Erina and I have known each other for a long time. She was actually my direct report about 15 years ago. P.S. Total pain in the ass. Terrible employee. What's funny is... <laughs> we met each other because we were both in branding and marketing. So we actually met at a startup. And after that, she and I both went our own separate ways. And Erina essentially worked for a design firm and then worked for Unical Properties for a long period of time, both as a as, as an employee and as a consultant. And I actually, before that, had worked in the NBA and the NHL for a long time. Then I worked in the nonprofit sector and then I worked in financial services. And so the two of us, when we came together out of our sort of previous companies, we had experience in real estate, financial services, and nonprofits, all of which really struggle marketing planning, right? Marketing measurement and marketing reporting. None of those yeah. industries or you know verticals are experts in those fields. And so we just saw this massive opportunity. And when we started our previous consulting firm, we weren't necessarily focused on real estate. It just so happened that because we had that experience in real estate and with other laggard industries, and we were able to show how you can take marketing best practices and really up-level your marketing efforts in that area, we suddenly noticed after about a year, wow, 90% of our clients are in commercial real estate. Part of it was just listening to the market, right? The, the commercial mm. real sector, we're obviously drawn to our offerings and we really understood the industry and we really liked the clients. That was the other thing we talked about a lot, which was which clients and which projects are we enjoying the most and which clients and which projects are we enjoying the least. And funny enough, commercial real estate was at the top of our list and specifically multifamily was at the very top. And we just realized this actually isn't that hard of a decision. It just takes the courage to double down and focus. That's what we did. And it immediately paid dividends for previous company. And I think it's been the reason why we've been so successful remarkably because we chose to have that very rigorous focus despite a ton of pressure to have a broader focus. Yeah, definitely. There's the cliche saying, saying no to something lets you say yes to something. I don't know how it goes, but I mean, definitely. It's Nate. The riches are in the niches. They're, 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 that's even better. I like that one. The riches are in the niches. But I mean, that allows you to actually build a product that's specific versus because there's a million and one marketing and sales tools out there. But I think one of the challenges, especially in real estate, and, I, and I'm sure you guys understand this, and we'll get into specifics here. But you know, in real estate, there's nuances. There's a lot of nuances to the transaction process and timelines. You have rules and ordinances and laws that you have to follow that aren't the same from town to city to state. And so, you know, building, you can't just take, you know, off the shelf 
12 sales and marketing tools and apply it to real estate often because they they're not built with that in mind. They have other type businesses. So what would be some of the specific, maybe say, uh, solutions or, or scenarios, if you will, that uh, Remarkably would, would, would be providing for a client? Yeah. So why don't, why don't I go ahead and take that one? So there, there are three scenarios within which we find that we drive really meaningful value and we're seeing really strong, exciting early traffic. So the first is your quintessential underperforming asset. So be it an underperforming existing asset or a stalled lease up or what has been lovingly dubbed by the team now as the hot mess asset. (laughs) Is it on the website like that? I missed that. Is there a category? Is your property a hot mess? Right? Call us. I like that. So that's that first category. So instances where people are feeling a really significant amount of pain. So you you have an asset, massive targets and objectives as it relates to cash flow, Mm -hmm. asset valuation. And a, a very typical scenario is a client will call us and they'll say, I have this building. I'm treading water at 70% occupancy. I can't figure out how to move the needle. The only solutions anyone has given me are to drop rent rates, which I don't want to do, or mm. spend more money on marketing, but they can't even tell me what the marketing dollars I am spending are producing. Mm. Need a better solution. So that's, that's that kind of first category. The second category is actually on the pre-development side, on the ground-up development. So we started having clients come to us who would say, I don't have any underperforming assets. Um, it's kind of a point of pride, but but I do have something, I do have something ground-up and Gosh, wouldn't it be smart if I could make my multi-hundred million dollar development on a more data-driven strategic fashion versus sort of throwing a dart in the dark and being what sticks? So that second category on the pre-dev side, we can help clients identify where is the market opportunity, how should that impact things such as unit mix, pricing structure, amenities programming. And then how to take that asset to market in such a way that will produce the highest ROI for every pre-leasing and leasing dollar that you spend in that development budget. So that's that's that second category. And then the third, which interestingly enough, the market again, back to Annalise's point about listening to the market, that the market actually identified for us was this idea of asset or portfolio optimization. Mm. A cohort of customers who kept coming to us and saying, I don't have anything underperforming. I don't have anything in development, but I do have more volatility within my stabilization range than I would like. So by that, I mean, they have a building, they're at 95%. Everyone's happy. Everyone's high-fiving in the hallways. They slide down to 90%. Everyone crosses their fingers and closes their eyes and hopes for the best. They slide further down into the high 80s. And this is literally what's happening across massive portfolios. They slide down to the 80s. Everyone panics. They dump rent rates. They buy residents effectively, and they move back up. And the volatility and lost cash flow at a single asset, but more importantly, across an entire portfolio is, is significant. So those those are the three scenarios within which we're seeing a lot of traction and you can really drive tremendous value within that. And we're we're talking first off that that's that's awesome and I love the three different categories there. What's what's the top category? So we have hot mess all the way up to what? What do you call that last one? So yeah, so there is there's the accelerate package, which is effectively <laughs> I you know get get me to bowl all the bells and whistles. That's the the unofficial hot mess category. There is the optimize, which is the you know help me achieve stabilization and then maintain it. 
And then there is the plan category, i.e. that that ground up development. The ground up, yep. And we're, we're talking buildings that we're not talking, you know, 16 and 20 unit buildings. We're talking large developments. We're talking, give, give me an ideal range. Like what, someone's thinking, okay, this sounds like something I could I could use or I'd want to use. How many units are we, are we talking as an ideal client? Yeah, so we find that the platform really pencils most dramatically at 50 units and not. And then, and then frankly, sky's the limit from there. I, uh, I had a prospect call the other day. He said, we have an 1800 unit building. I said, 800? He said, 1800. Like, great. <laughs> That's a small town. I know. It's about the town I grew up in. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I, I'm, I'm assuming that's more than one building, right? Yes, exactly. Yes. There, I think there are two buildings in that scenario. But, okay. But- yeah. Yeah. And, and so these companies then too, so are these all institutionalized companies? Are you working with independent owners or these large conglomerates? Uh, I'll, I'll start, but then Annalise jump in because Annalise on, on the front lines um, with everybody. So what's been really interesting is if you think about the audience taxonomy of the landscape, you have kind of your capital players, i.e. your owners, investors, developers, and then you have your, your property managers. Mm-hmm. What I'm finding super exciting is that we're actually getting brought in by both sides of the aisle. So there have been instances where the property manager brings us in and basically says to the ownership group, in order for us to achieve what you want, we need better tools, we need better resources, we, we need remarkably. And then we've had instances where the ownership groups bring us in and they say to the property managers, you guys are amazing, you're amazing at property management, let me give you some marketing resources as well. So it's interesting because definitely it is if you're in that kind of unit and up, you are seeing these as more of those sort of class A institutional players. But we're working with everybody from some of the largest property managers in the US to more kind of privately held boutique owners as well. Annalie, did you have something that you wanted to throw in there? No. I think that's that's (laughs) so well summed up. Yeah. (laughs) You didn't leave any on the table here, Erna. So what what's some of the feedback then you're getting from, you know, both the, you know, the property management side and the and the builders, developers, owners as to okay, they, they're working with you and they gave you the reason, here's why we chose you. What what's that reason that you're hearing coming back? Yeah. So I'll I'll start and then Erna, I'd love to to have you pile on, but What's really interesting is some of the reasons people really like our platform have been a little bit surprising. So one of the things that I hear consistently is how excited people are to see so much data aggregated and served up in such a clean, simple, user-friendly way. So I think in some ways, asset managers and owners and property managers have almost become accepting of the fact that they have to deal with like 80-page reports of dense tables of text. Um, and that's just the nature of the beast, right? And that there are no insights. It's hard to decipher. There are so many fragmented data sources and reports. And I think people have just accepted that as a necessary evil. And so one of the things people are so excited about is, is this aggregated kind of executive level view and that very user-centric approach we've taken to the UX and UI design. That's been one thing that's been surprising because I was really excited about that when we kicked this off. And it's something that I hope people would like. But I think people's reaction to that even more positive and even stronger than I had anticipated, which has been great. I think that people thing people really love is even just the visualization of the market, of the market analysis that we do, and also modeling. Those two things, I would say, are the two most differentiating features and the things that people get really excited about, which is here's a de- detailed breakdown of your specific market you know, tailored to your building. 
And here's how you could potentially get to goal based on, let's say, a schedule-driven scenario and an investment-driven scenario. And here's how that compares to run rate. In other words, if you did nothing differently, where would that get you versus these other two strategies? The, the, the really positive feedback has definitely been in those two areas. All user experience. Yeah. And I'll I'll just add from the, the sales side. So as as the current global sales team of one, unfortunately for everyone. <laughs> I think the thing, the other thing is people really are desperate for a better solution. So people have been been managing these assets with spreadsheets and sticky notes and whiteboards, and, and there has been huge lost cash flow, degradation of asset value. So I think what, what I've been excited about is just how how desperate people are for Annalise's point to have this this intersection between one meaningful insights actually help me make heads or tails of all this data that I'm drowning with, two recommended actions, like please tell me what to do, and then three measurable results. What is the actual outcome? I pulled this lever, I made this investment, what actually happened? And so I think converting marketing from that black hole into this sort of strategic lever has been something that that people have been kind of, it's sort of the, the light has just turned on. So that, that's been really exciting. That's so cool. I mean, I, I see that in my business too, where, you know, when you provide insights to any one particular business with like, here's what all that stuff means. Right. And that, that, and I'm sure you guys now experience that. Like you see like the light bulb moment where someone looks at it like, Oh my goodness, why has no one showed me this before? And it's just a ton of work, which then makes it that much cooler because you guys have a platform that is doing that for them. So it's not as arduous as call the agency. Okay. Put in your request for report, wait three weeks or whatever it takes to get the report. They now have ongoing live actual insights, which makes, makes sense because if you don't know if you know you should be putting more money into marketing should you should you adjust the rent rates i mean what what are you supposed to be doing here because the choices are you know unlimited Let, let's keep uh moving on so you guys are based in seattle shout out to the northwest <laughs> represent i keep trying to tell everyone this best kept secrets are in the northwest but we're not gonna be secret that much longer <laughs> but so are you guys only focusing on the local market or are you also going outside of seattle and uh or are you already brand nationwide. Yeah, so we're we're already in Annalie, what is the latest count? Seven or eight markets? Uh, eight. Eight now yeah, we're in eight markets. And it's actually funny. Um, Seattle was was not kind of one of our one of our first. So we'll we'll see if I can get them. But so we're we're already in, you know, Seattle, Portland suburbs, Salt Lake, Houston, no, me, Dallas, San Antonio, Sacramento suburb. I'm missing a couple in there. But so it's we're we're already the uh the uh the world domination strategy has already begun. <laughs> Do you guys have a map with all the pins of where you're going and where you where you are? No, but we should. Like green is where you're at and blue is where you're going. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of blue pins. There we go. <laughs> so you guys are already looking to expand nationwide, but do you have any particular markets you have your eyes set on that you feel would be best suited uh, for Remarkably? Or do you feel that you can meet just about any market's needs? Annalie, do you want to take that one? I was just going to say, I, I actually think, honestly, we're, we're a great choice for anyone in any market because we are collecting benchmarks within markets and also across markets. So we're starting to get some really interesting national average data and also some market-specific data. And what I've been kind of surprised by is, yeah, the interest from these emerging markets. 
Um, we've had much more interest from emerging markets than some of these more mature markets, which mm-hmm. I also think is interesting. People are really hungry for data about those markets and also for help because they tend to be they tend to be a little bit more challenging than some of the more mature markets, which is also just exciting because it gives you a tool to help those people in those emerging markets who really need it. It's been great. Yeah. No, and I asked that because you know, I you know, I, I spent a year living in the south, and so that was interesting. Believe it like that. You know, I'm originally from the northwest or northeast, excuse me, Philly. So, and now living in the Northwest, like I compare and think about this. I was like, well, you know, Philly has been kind of stagnant for some time. Nashville is exploding. But then if you go a little bit West, you go to Memphis, it's still half looking like a war zone. And then you come up to the Northwest and it's, you know, vacancy rates of like half percent. And so you're trying to like think through like, how would this adapt? But it sounds like that's the whole point is there's a lot of different levers and things that you can do. And that's what you're helping the building owners in those different markets understand, hey, I should be doing this or I should be doing that. It's not one one fix, you know, all buildings. Yeah. Get it. Love it. So as you, you're expanding here, because, you know, we got to talk a few months ago and you guys are brand brand. What is the official launch date of Remarkably? It's like January, right? Yes. So so Remarkably officially incorporated, I think it was January 2nd because the banks were closed on January 1st and no one would talk to us. So, so <laughs> January 2nd. Was, was the official incorporation date. And then the, the platform had its first kind of code release mid-March, Annalie, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, That's amazing. And you're in eight markets already. So what is driving the growth? <laughs> Sheer determination. <laughs> Are you guys door knocking? I'll, I'll let Annalie describe what's happening. <laughs> So Erina is, as as some of our early partners and investors have described, is just relentless. Um, she is relentless. She has been, I mean, she's obviously a sales-centric CEO and, and probably among, you know, some of the most sales-centric CEOs that some of our, our partners and investors have ever seen. She has been super focused. So the nice thing is we have a pretty amazing network of, of just connections and relationships within the real estate industry. And we've met a lot of amazing people at events like the CRE tech events that we, we've been to. And so Erina has a long list of people who are really interested in this platform that have mostly been been brought to us through word of mouth, introductions, events. It's actually been very one-to-one and mostly through networking. But Erina has been demoing this product from really early stages where it was more about the vision than anything else to now where she's literally demoing a live link to the platform and just honestly sheer determination and uh, prioritization of, of getting those customers in the door and, and getting all that feedback and the most amazing thing mm-hmm. about her bringing in these first clients has been that it's given us the opportunity to get really early feedback and that feedback is shaping the tool and it's literally shaping the platform and the features we're deciding on every two weeks right every sprint planning meeting we're taking the customer feedback and figuring out where to prioritize it and how to deliver it and getting feedback on these solutions. So it's it's actually been a really, it's been fun to watch Erina and listen to Erina. I think everyone in the office has memorized her demo script. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. Right? What's one joke that no one laughs at that's in the middle of the script? <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's no jokes that no one laughs at. They wouldn't, they wouldn't make it. They'd get the cut. They'd get the <laughs> No sense of humor. Take it back. Let's go. 
work. No, but I'll, I'll just add, Nate. So, so part of it has been, you know, sheer relentless determination and grit of which Anna Lee and I are both, both rich in. I sometimes like to joke that, that starting a startup is sort of like learning how to water ski, where you're basically being dragged behind the boat, you're sucking in water and you're getting like kicked around, but you can't let go, which is sort of like learning to water ski was for me. And, and I, I, so I think there's, there's been this degree that has just been sort of sheer determination and, and poking a lot of water, but not letting go. But I think more so it's also been that the market is so desperate for a better solution. So my my fastest close yet so far is 96 hours, which in this industry is pretty incredible. I pulled called it into one of the largest property managers in the US, got a first meeting on Thursday, had a second meeting on a Friday, sent them the contract on Sunday, and they signed on Monday. So I think, you know, the the 27 demos a day doesn't hurt. But (laughs) more so, it's that people are just so desperate. It is is totally time. And and there hasn't been a better option until now. Yeah. Well, that's... I, I mean, that kind of answers, you know, one of the questions I had was like, why now? And you just answered it is there's not been a better time. People are asking for it, looking for it. And, you know, for what it's worth, I mean, the world of sales and marketing tools, for some reason, seems to, I don't know, they, see, they, don't, they don't seem to recognize all the buildings that they're working in. <laughs> It's, it's such a good question, this sort of why now question, right? And of course, it's it's something that a lot of people have asked. And I'll share a couple of thoughts. And then and then Annalie will no doubt have something more thoughtful to say. But you know what, I think a huge part of it has also been that real estate, someone actually once said to me yesterday, you know, people, you know, real estate, they're, they're just sort of a bunch of lemmings. And it takes it takes a bit of pressure to get them to, to do anything differently. And so real estate, of course, is highly cyclical. We've had this amazing boom for multiple years. And and there was a degree, there was a period there where if you, you know, if you build it, they will come. If you built a, you know, moderate apartment and put in some stainless steel appliances and put in a kegerator in the lobby, the building would fill itself. And what we've seen is that as things begin to soften and cool a little bit, that while everyone else has sort of come through this, this digital revolution of the last 10 years, real estate is just picking its head up and just seeing it for the first time because suddenly marketing dollars are going to have to work harder, smarter, faster. They're going to have to be more strategic, more on the offensive. And so I, I think that's this other big piece is that real estate sort of missed the digital revolution because it was sort of in this this heyday of, of the last boom. And, and so we do see see an element of this that's almost sort of anti-cyclical in that as people just have to make those dollars go a lot farther, make deals work they wouldn't have had to in the past, there's now again this this major sense of urgency of okay, a, a newspaper ad and a Craigslist, you know, banner isn't isn't gonna cut it anymore. Yeah, totally. I, I think that, you know, even as the, you know, if we do see a market turn or cool down, I think that the best of the best are going to really rise and actually do well through that will shine. And those who don't adapt and those who don't move with as, the, you know, any other industry and, and adapt to new technology will probably get left behind, which, you know, I've, you know, done my own study and, and research on this. That was actually one of the original rises of Trulia. You know, they had raised all their capital right before the crash, which good on them because that could have been awkward timing, but you know, and and then they were able to push through that, and because of that, they were positioned well to come out of that crash and, and really and thrive. I know it's only been a short time you guys have been up and running with the platform, but is there anything that you 
you started working on or you, you had headed down the path and realized, hey, that's not right. We need to go this direction. You know, it's only been a few months, but I mean, is there any any stories of any minor pivots or failed experiments as, as you guys have been going here? I'll lead on that. And I it's so funny because... Honestly, one of our, one of the things that, that has been a bit of a pivot moment for us is just again, back to the focus piece. Because we have been working on these problems for years, we almost have too many ideas. Like we've, in some ways we had, you know, before we had our MVP, we had these early versions. We'd already gotten a bunch of feedback. We'd already gotten a bunch of ideas, even over the past three or four years of working together. So we have this unbelievable backlog of ideas for what we could do, right? And our CTO, Todd Cullen, is amazing because he's really helped us come in and focus on things that, that are incredibly important in terms of building a you know, smart, strategic SaaS play in terms of how you sequence the features and how you inform the priorities and all those things. I would say one of the things we probably one of the biggest mistakes we made at the very beginning was trying to do too much too quickly. And that lack of focus was exhausting. And frankly, it was just hard to get traction. Once we got really laser-like in terms of, okay, these are the four key components of the platform, right? mm. measurement, the market analysis, the modeling and the planning, even just agreeing those are the four starting MVP components. And we're going to do our very best job at those four things. We're not even going to talk about anything else. Mm. Six weeks or eight weeks. That was super helpful. And I think Todd bringing in that level of discipline around just implementing formal sprint planning and, and, um, and just road mapping was incredibly helpful. And wasn't, you know, Erin and I definitely were excited about a million features and kind of wanted to implement everything instantaneously because we knew all these things could help. But now we have a much better plan for how to roll them all out. Yeah, I've heard about this uh, sprint schedule that you have your poor CTO on. <laughs> Well, he's the one implementing it. He's in charge. Um, but yeah, no, he, he's, it's, it's funny because in some ways, Erina and Todd and I are sort of the perfect combination because Erina you know, has this deep domain expertise in commercial real estate. I have deep you know, domain expertise in terms of marketing operations. And then Todd brings this unbelievable ad tech and engineering background. And I think all three of our approaches together have been mm. actually great, but we also push each other all the time. In ways that are both delightful and terrible, all all at the same time. I I really don't think you could build this company or a company like this without. It is an unbelievably unique set of skills. We've we've had clients say to us, you know, I would never buy this if you didn't know real estate. Clients say like, I would never buy this because the real estate solutions out there haven't had the degree of sort of tech savviness that I'm looking for. We've had clients who say there are cool softwares, but when the rubber meets the road, they don't actually they don't actually deliver. So the trio, I mean, Annalie and I, like we said, you know, we've we've long long had the other, and now we have Todd. I think the the trio is is quite unique and and required. Yeah, I think you're totally right on that. I mean, of all the tools and things I see all the time, a lot of them, they're actually not even, they're not truly software. They're just, there's an order form and then someone's building something manually each time, you know, there's not really a tool, which, you know, it's fine. It's okay, but it's not really taking things to the next level. And I think you're right, you know, the, the deep domain expertise, I get contacted quite frequently from people saying, hey, I was thinking about starting this business and we're going to sell to real estate agents. And I say, why? He's like, oh, well, they make so much money. And if they just close one, deal. I'm like, well, you're missing a lot of the things about this industry. So, uh, you know, maybe pump the brakes on that. And uh, I think that's a great feedback. Speaking of money. So I want to, I got a few questions around money and we'll start 
start here first. You guys had had to raise a little bit of funding or you had raised uh, some funding to get started, right? Can you talk to me about what that process was like, who you worked with and and how much you had to raise to get up and running? Yeah, um, I'll take that. So we raised a small pre-seed round. We raised an 800 pre-seed round. Basically, stand up the company, build the MVP, make some of these critical hires, such as our CTO. Um, and so that that was sort of that, that initial component. We're moving into now kicking off a seed round. So uh, moving into an active fundraising mode, kicking off a seed round, and that will then lead through to a you know to a series a probably 18 18 months down the road and the we've been really i will say i mean anna lee and i just feel so lucky to have the degree of support and encouragement from the industry that that we've received so there are some incredible angels that came into the pre-seed round um brandon weber of hightower now bts is one of our angels and advisors molly fadul and um, the cfs partners is in there we Pioneer Square Labs um, came in as kind of the first true institutional capital into it. And the, the support in people's just time and generosity and capital has has been really, really exciting to see. And I will tell you, I'll tell you one funny story, Nate, which is that a portion of the pre-seed round also came from a first date that I went on. <laughs> that is relentless. You were selling on the first date. He says, what do you like to do for fun? Well, let me tell you about my company That's and what we're doing. And if he's just signed here, it's just an NDA. No big deal. Did you bring an NDA with you? joke but that's 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 not that's not a totally inaccurate representation so met met a lovely fellow had a lovely date he and i both agreed you know you're smart and interesting but but not for me and and apparently i may talk too much about our business because where he ended was i don't know that i want to go on a second date with you but i'd I'd like to invest in your company (laughs) that was the best that is by far the funniest story I've I've heard yet. Now we are we've done like forty some episodes already. <laughs> Takes the cake right there. Most unique way to to help pick up a, a pick a ground a company right off the ground. You didn't go into the date with that expectation, but you know th- that's the true spirit of real estate. <laughs> you don't go into the grocery store Offer. intending to talk to the person. You know, trying to figure out which cancel is right to say, hey, do you know anyone looking to buy, sell, or invest in real estate? But if they happen to say, hey, I see your name tag says you're in real estate, you know, well, you open the door. That's right. It was an off-market deal. (laughs) (laughs) That's so awesome. You got to get back on Tinder. (laughs) (laughs) Just match up the connections. There's so many prospects. Right? A seed round. Time to to get back on. (laughs) All right. So let's, because I want to talk about a little bit more funding here. So this is unique. So, you know, one of the things I made a very intentional approach about with the show, I think we went the whole first season. I don't think I had uh, interviewed a single woman on the show. And I read a a piece from Michael, Mike Beckerman, and I looked at my show, what I had in in season two, and I think we only had one woman on the show. I said, okay. So shout out to Alyssa Harper, by the way, uh, by side. She has helped me. She's made some introductions for me because 
you know, truthfully, I looked at my network and I said, well, I just know a bunch of dudes. That's that's who I know. Now, so I, I'll get to the point here. Uh, I'll try and wrap that up quickly. So it's the first time we've had co-founded company, both women on the show, and you've both raised money. And I, I read two interesting articles this past week. One was 2018 was a record high for women-owned, women-co-founded companies in VC funding. But if you look at women-only owned companies, it was just over 2% of all venture funding. And it was like, okay, so, you know, it was basically it was saying, if you're purely male-founded, 83% of venture funding went to your business <laughs> last year. So when you're raising money, though, then and then you're in real estate, it's a male-dominated sport, so to speak. And then you're trying to raise money. Like, are you seeing any roadblocks? Or do you feel that you have the right people around you that have really pushed through those barriers? Yeah, so I think, again, I think people are desperate for, for change. So the, the stat you just referenced is one that we see and read about frequently, which is exactly less than 2% of all VC funding goes to women-owned businesses, which is staggering. And yet there is, you know, case study after case study, national stat after national stat that women-owned and women-led businesses actually perform better. So similarly to how customers have been looking for a better solution, I think I think investors have also been been looking for for great women owned, women led companies, and especially in, in male dominated spaces. So it is not atypical for us to be the only women in the room. I think that, that happens on a, a more regular basis, certainly than we wish wish it did. But but frankly it it hasn't it hasn't really been the topic of conversation. It's been more about you know, massive market, great team, great product. And, but we are, it's something that Annalie and I are, are super passionate about is this idea of really creating opportunity for women, women supporting women, creating opportunity for every facet of the business and, and really creating a very necessary shift and change from, from what the current status quo is. Annalie, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah. You know, it's also just funny because I think there's some also, there's some degree of comfort and familiarity with among both of us in terms of working in a male-dominated field. So one of the things that occurred to me a couple of weeks ago is that I've always worked in male-dominated industries. I mean, I worked in the NBA, I worked in the NHL, I worked for an asset management firm, and now and now I'm in you know multifamily marketing. It's just interesting. There have been so many men in all those industries that I've it's become normalized for me. I think I'm so used to working with men all the time that I don't, it's not something Aaron and I actually talk about very much. I mean, we're super proud that we are a, you know, majority woman owned company and we're a woman led company and we're huge proponents for women in real estate and real champions for just women business owners. Because there's not a huge community of those. We're definitely advocates for that. But it's interesting because when we think about the gender dynamics, like even just in this recent seed round activity, I would say, you know, if and when we've had any negative feedback or tough questions or whatever, we never go back to, you know, is it because we're women? It's always, we always focus on, you know, that's a great question. That's something we should focus on or that's great feedback. We should really make that better. I mean, we don't tend to focus on that aspect in in a negative way as much as we just want to make sure we capitalize on the opportunity and just make sure that we continue to be advocates for it. 
That's great. I think that's probably some some pretty good advice for then maybe other women founders who find themselves not sure where they're at or feeling maybe alone is, you know, you know, try to take those questions as constructively as possible. But maybe also, you know, you both have each other to work with and some amazing people. And I know that there's a few networks out there. But like you said, there, there's not many available specifically for women. So well, we'll transition from there. And I appreciate that feedback there. And we're going to go into my favorite segment of the show. This is called For the Future. Uh, For the Future is a segment where I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Erna, Annalie, are you ready to play? There are no phone of friends or ask the audience on this. So, all right. <laughs> Question number one, what does remarkably look like one year from now? This is like a dating game. So like, okay, Erin, you, you write down the answer. Annalie, you give the answer. We'll see if you both line up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You should take that one. Yeah. So, so a, a year from now, um, it, it remarkably looks looks no pun intended re- remarkable. Those first eight markets are now you know 25 plus markets. That initial customer cohort has grown by a by a significant magnitude. Uh, and you know our current MRR, which we're super proud about in terms of early days, has you know has again you know basically about 20 fold. So in a, in a year, you, know, you start to really start having a a significant platform portfolio data play and I will say the the team of eight which all look pretty exhausted at the moment that we have just an incredible team and everyone is working so hard um hopefully looks looks a little less tired because there'll be there'll be a much bigger team behind them very cool question number two what does the housing market look like one year from now you both gave the same look <laughs> separated at birth wouldn't everyone love to answer that? And I feel like there's so much speculation about this that right is, now. And and that's the brilliant play on my side, right? I bring on the smartest people I know, and then I ask them to give me the the crystal ball answer of where is the market gonna be? Boom. Clever, Karina. I think you should take that one. <laughs> So I agree. I mean, crystal ball. I I think it's really I think it's going to be highly market dependent. So you've got these core markets, you've got emerging markets. We do anticipate you're going to see some softening, but in a market like Seattle, where you have you know, if nothing else, the Amazon effect, I think we will see a slower growth acceleration than than we've seen. But I I don't see that drastically changing anytime soon. Yeah, tend to agree. Okay, question number three: What's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? <laughs> That's a great one. Wow, that is a really good question. Think about that one. Oh, I have one. People are people are going to keep saying Resi. I think they're they're just going to keep saying Resi. I wish they wouldn't. Like you have time. Say the whole word. That's my family. Okay. <laughs> the term Resi. Resi. Yeah. All right. There you have it. Resi is outdated. Don't look a fool. Question number four and the final of For the Future. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of technological advances? Nate, this is a tough fourth question. Oh, no, this one's easy. This is easy. Peace. (laughs) Bye. This is why you have to listen to all the other 40 episodes and then you can just take an answer. What do you think, Erin? Do you want to take that one? Oh, this one's all you. This is this is like the land of analytics. Yeah. <laughs> spreadsheets. Spreadsheets are going to be out and solutions like Remarkably are going to be in. 
So, hmm. I think so. So, one thing I think is a really interesting. Well, actually, it's, it's funny because we have so many friends in the in the prop tech and martech space. I want to be careful what I answer because I, you know, clearly want to support all of our honesty is the best policy, right? In terms of technology, in terms of one of the things that is, I think, kind of back to your question earlier, a little bit spanning questions three and four. Is, is there's, there's a piece of technology right now that sort of gamifies or influences apartment reviews. And I feel like that there's an element of transparency that's always been so highly valued. I mean, this is happening on Amazon too, right? Like any sort of marketplace where reviews can be influenced mm-hmm. by giveaways or discounts or gift cards or whatever. I think there's an interesting opposition growing lately is just online reputation management through influence. But I feel like I need to think about your your fourth question purely and maybe like call that in because I really want to give some thought to it. Aaron, I don't know if you have one up top of your tongue, tip of your tongue, but I have almost so many thoughts about it. <laughs> I, I focus or, or prioritize how to even begin that list. Yeah, and this this is why Annalie is our CXO because she's so thoughtful. that's all right we'll give you a pass on this one we'll come back at a later time maybe we'll do a dedicated one question answer to this one we'll follow up yeah because i really want to put some thought into that one it's a great it's a great question all right we're going to move into the the last three uh these questions are more about both of you so our listeners get to know you too. First one is, and you both have to answer each question. No passing the buck on this one. All right. All right. First one is, what are you reading? Uh, I just finished Where the Crawdads Sing, which Annalie recommended. <laughs> oh, man. So you're going to laugh. Actually, the most recent book I read was actually a book on multifamily marketing that I was evaluating for our onboarding process. Because I so- was all new hires. What, what's the book? So I, I believe it's actually called something like, it's literally like a guide to multifamily marketing or something like that. It was actually pretty good. I think so. Is that the one with like the yellow on the cover? Black with like yellow lettering. Yeah. Here's an interesting point though. I went on to Amazon to look at the options, right? Because I was thinking about our onboarding package and I think there was actually only one book. <laughs> that was highly rated at, in maybe that by Josh Grillo. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's the only one. And I just thought, was like, wow. Okay. So our next career should be authoring a book on multifamily marketing. Boom. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yes. I know some people, if you want, you guys want to write a book. All right. Question number two, who are you learning from? Well, so I will say, so we, we joke. So Annalie and I met in 2006 and, and she was my boss and I was terrible. So I, I learned daily from, from Annalie and, and we, we have such, we have such complementary skill sets. I mean, if you were to plot us on, you know, StrengthsFinder, Myers-Briggs, Color Insights, anything, A, we're, we're both just monsters, but monsters on the absolute opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> and, and so I think, you know, Annalie always has a different perspective than I do. And then I'll, I'll just also add, again, going going back to just how generous mentors have been. So it's it's the Brandon Webers, it's the Ellie Feingolds, it's the Molly Fadules, who are taking texts from me at midnight with some crazy idea I have about how to further advance women in the industry or my seventh version of our pricing structure. Um, Pioneer Square Lab, definitely, they have an amazing mentor program. So I'm, I am learning on to a humbling degree on a, a nearly minute-by-minute minute basis. Really close to home, it's Anna Lee. And then, and then it's just been this, this incredible group of mentors who are, are so generous and, and who have 
who have, as they put it, have trying to help us make 25% less mistakes than they made. Got it. So in, a, in an attempt to avoid people's gag reflex, I won't, Erin, talk about what I've learned from you. I know. Just so people don't gag. But I think the two people I would probably mention would be, honestly, Todd, our CTO. He is such an expert in the SaaS arena. And mm. we have learned a ton from him, even just about right? the business that's truly scalable, which is, of course, inherent to you know the software play. But Erina and I come from a much more service-oriented background and experience. Mm-hmm. A lot of our world has been everything is tailored, everything is white glove, everything is one-to-one, is the most unscalable business model. Yep. And so we're super excited about all the potential in the software world. And we're learning a lot about how to basically kind of wean yourself off of this idea of everything being a custom service into things being scalable, repeatable, and, and, you know, beneficial to the largest group of people possible while still offering the same value that a tailored service would. So just a ton, learning a ton literally daily from him about even just the opportunities for how to grow and improve our product and our business and our margins. The other thing I learn from all the time, honestly, is is my family and my kids in particular. I have an eight-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old daughter, and they just remind me what's important on a regular basis. And even just being a woman in business, like sometimes I forget how much they listen to and how much they mm. bring And the other day I was talking about something and my younger daughter, Lucy was like, how many customers do you have now? And I told her the number and she's like, well, that's not very many. I'm like, actually, it's really <laughs> like lay off, Lucy, lay off. I'm working yeah. on Lucy. And then my, my other daughter was so funny because we were talking about something to do with the fact that we're a woman-owned business. And my my 10-year-old pipes up, well, yeah, you're PSL's first woman-owned spin-out. And I was like, I just, it's <laughs> my, I think one of the things I learned is um, to not underestimate the power of being a, a role model and the power yeah. of being a successful female entrepreneur in the eyes of my kids and how much that influences them. It's just, it's just super rewarding and it's adorable. Yeah. They, um, they gave me, both girls gave me good luck notes for when we kicked off our fundraise, which included sort of photo or, you know, stick drawings of myself presenting to a large room of investors and line graphs going up. And leverage that in the pitch. (laughs) So good. Even kids believe in us. It's in the memory Slack channel. Those, those, those little things make make a big difference. The, the girls are amazing. And you had a killer high pony and some really sassy bangs. Super cute bangs. Way cute hair today. <laughs> All right. Question number three. What inspires you? I think maybe I just answered that in a lot of ways. Honestly, yeah. I, I think being a woman technology business founder and just the... In- we lost her. Well, we lost Annalise. She, hopefully she'll return here. Erin, uh, you're up. Okay. Um, I, I think for me, it's, it's you know, you, you think about women, and then you think about women in business, and, and that, that pie gets really small. And then you think about women in business in tech, and it's like tiny slice. And you think about women in business in tech and real estate. I mean, I think without exaggeration, you know, you can probably count on you know, maybe one hand the number of women CEOs in prop tech in, in real estate. And so what, what 
I'm super inspired about is, is the idea of, of affecting change, of shaking things up, of doing things differently, and of changing an industry that, frankly, is, is long overdue. So I'm, I'm super motivated by this idea of, okay, we can, we can fundamentally change value creation for the largest asset class in the world. And we can do it as, as two, you know, women co-founders in a space that, that has had, had very little exposure to, to what this looks like to date. So that, that's what, because it is, you know, owning a startup is not for the faint of heart. It's late nights and early mornings, a lot of time at 30,000 feet. And, but I sit here and I think about the opportunity and the opportunity to, to create, to really create this, just this incredible business and, and to have, have women at the helm. And, and that's certainly what inspires me. I love it. I think it's great. I'm bummed that we just lost Annalise. She can just like, she wants to just like run into the room and like pop next to you. <laughs> um, I, I'm unclear what happened. She just pulled, popped in and grabbed her laptop. So I don't know if, I don't know if there was a, or a, or a charger. I don't know if she was a dead laptop scenario, but. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that almost happened to me earlier at the top of the show. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Sorry. We've just enough time. Uh, I know you were starting on, on your answer. This is, this is hilarious. People who make it this far in the episode would be like, what is going on uh, over there? But I didn't want to close out the show before you, you had a chance to come back and finish up your answer on, on what inspires you. Yeah. And I think I, I basically spoke this in my last one, but just to reiterate, definitely being an inspiring role model to other women who may never even think it's possible right, to start a technology business. It took a lot of guts for us to do it. And, and also just to my kids and basically any young women. I think that is like super inspiring, just knowing that they can see that it's possible. And it's even kind of fun. Yeah. Well, very cool. I align with that. My mom inspired me when I was young. She worked two jobs, single mom with three kids, uh, made it to all our games and practices. So it kind of always gave me the motivation of there's no scenario that's too tough. You know, if she could do it under that, I mean, I've got it easy. So, right. um, but that's some, some confirmation there for you on that. But this has been awesome. I, I really appreciate both of your time getting learn more about Remarkably. It's exciting to see you guys growing from, I think, Annalie, the first time we spoke, you weren't even able to allow, you weren't allowed to tell me everything. You're like, well, we don't have everything ready to roll yet. It was, you know, before you guys were an official, you know, incorporation. So I love it. Can't wait to make it down for Friday happy hour. I just got to get that on the calendar sometime. Before we close out, let everyone know if they want to connect with either one of you and learn more about Remarkably, where do they, where do they go and how can they do that? Yeah, so you can go to remarkably.io. Uh, we have a dead sexy website uh, that, that is very cool. And then you you can email me. Uh, so Arima at remarkably.io. You can email Annalie, but she'll just send it to me. <laughs> We're back a house. <laughs> That's all good. But I appreciate you guys both on the show and uh, can't wait to, to see where you're headed in the next year. And then uh, we'll have to we'll have to do a follow-up a little uh, one-off call on that last question because I can't really let you off the hook. I know. Completely on that one. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that one. I would love that. No, it was a great question. Well, thank you for having us. You bet. My pleasure. I'll see you guys later. Fun. Thank you. Bye. Well, that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to the Tech Nest podcast. Hey, don't forget you can get on the email list. You never miss an upcoming episode. That's technest.io. That's T-E-C-H-N-E-S-T dot I-O. Get on the email list. 
uh, go to the App Store, whether you found us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you found us. Leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. And if you've got a guest or someone that you'd like to recommend, or if you think that you'd be a great guest on the show, hey, send me an email, nate at realteampanda.com. That's nate at realteampanda.com. See you guys later.